We're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 8 tonight. If you have your Bibles or if you want to look um, along with us in your handout. And I didn't, apparently it's been on the slides like every week and I didn't even know that. So you can look up here too. I was totally, totally oblivious to that. Um, So wherever you would like to read God's word and read along with me, please do that. Uh, We are, we were in John chapter 8 last week where uh, Jesus says, He's uh, the light of the world, and we are still, we're picking up right where we left off last time. Uh, Jesus is still kind of, he's in the temple, and he's still talking. There's still kind of the same group of people that are kind of around uh, listening to him, and, and we have get some people that kind of go after him here when he starts opening up about what he meant. So let's read together John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham, and we've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free... You will be free indeed. I know that you're offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And they answered him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing what Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You're doing what your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you're a Samaritan and have a demon? And Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died as did the prophets, yet you say if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered them, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I'd be a liar like you. But I do know him and I keep his word Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? 
Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word now and we pray as always that you would speak to us, that you would give us the words of life that we would cling ever so closely to the power of your grace and mercy as you've given it to us here. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the 24-hour news cycle has borne this, uh, this phenomenon of the correspondent that um, there's all these different people out in the political sphere or the news sphere or the journalism sphere, and they all get like paid on the side to come on a network like CNN or Fox News every now and then to kind of give their opinion, right? So this especially bears itself out when something big happens and we get to hear about it for like 10 days straight all day. And, and so to keep that news fresh so they can beat it into the ground like nothing else, they keep bringing in, you know, analyst after analyst like, you know, could you shed a little light on this for us? hoping to maybe keep that news fresh so that we can keep it out there, so we can keep the ratings up, and each person comes in and give, gives us their perspective, and so we can kind of have this like completely full orb of understanding, which we never get, and it's just an endless cycle. I think we often feel like that with Jesus, and we often feel like that in the Gospels and in the Bible and in our lives that we come into contact with things, that things happen, or we're starting to process things, and we think, I should get this by now, right? And so we're like, why can't, you know, maybe if I come at it from this angle, or if maybe I come at it from this angle. Okay, we're fresh off the heels of Jesus saying that he's the light of the world. And when he said it, he said a lot of things, and he continues to say a lot of things that are really hard to swallow. He's not really holding back at all. And the conversation kind of continues here. He's the truth. Uh, and we talked about last week that everything is exposed before him. He knows all. He reveals all. He's the judge of all. And the conversation continues here. The last verse of what we read last week said that many began to believe in him. So Jesus continues and takes it a step further. What exactly does he mean? What does it, exactly does it mean to come to the light? Who is this Jesus really? I want to look at it in three points here, and you can see it in your handout. Um, the truth, lies, and the videotape, okay? And the first thing that Jesus goes here is what I like to call the truth about the darkness. If you look at verse 31, he said he's, he's turning his attention to the ones that are actually laying hold of him in faith, that are believing in him. And he's trying to encourage them, and, and he says this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. So he's trying to kind of open this up a little bit more for the people that are believing what it is to come to the light, what it is to follow him. But by implication, what he speaks to is truth about the darkness. And this is why other people standing around, their ears pick up and they start going back and forth. So if you think about what Jesus says there in verse 31, First, he says, coming to him means that you will know the truth, which means, by implication, that if you're outside of him, you don't have it. Okay, but secondly, then he says, and then by knowing that truth, that truth will set you free. So if you're outside of Jesus, not only are you in darkness, do you not know the truth, Jesus also says you're a slave. And he opens that up a little bit more in verse 34. 
everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And this really catches the ears of those hearing, and they immediately kind of start railing against what Jesus is implying here. And so what is Jesus doing here? On the surface here, he's kind of making a distinction about who really, who, who are really his disciples, who are those who are really following, really believing? If you remember um, when we talked about the bread of Jesus being the bread of life, there have been tons that were now following Jesus because he fed the 5,000. And he says, you're not looking for me because you believe who I am. You're looking at me because of what I did. The fact that I gave you bread the other day. There's all these people that were believing him, but as soon as he started talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, they were out. They'd had enough. So, When Jesus starts turning to the implications of what it really means to follow him, people start turning away. So what is Jesus getting at? Why would he invite controversy again? I think one way of looking at it is this. Jesus never takes lightly following him. Ever. He's actually pretty honest about what it looks like and what it entails and what it will cost. So he told the people coming for bread, he said, no, you need to eat of me. You need to take me in. You need to eat my flesh. You need to drink my blood. Another place he tells people that to follow me means to take up your cross daily, okay? That'd be like me telling you take up a noose daily and put it around your neck. That's essentially what Jesus was saying. He's talking about a mode of execution and taking that up and carrying it with you every day. That's what it's like to follow him. Not taking it lightly. He does not take following him, coming to him lightly. Okay, so these people that are starting to argue with Jesus, they understood the Messiah to be one that would come and kind of deliver to them something that was already theirs. Something that was already theirs by birthright or by virtue of their piety or whatever. They believed they already owned something that what Messiah would do would come and be like, deliver it with like candles and stuff and big birthday party or something, and streamers and fireworks, whatever. They thought by virtue of who they were, they already deserved this thing that Jesus says he's bringing. They thought that the gift of life Jesus is offering, it was like an add-on, an additional adornment to something that they already had. But Jesus, taking, following him seriously, he, does, he takes it seriously because it's not an add-on to our lives. Following Jesus is not something else we add to our lives. It's a completely new life because we need new life. You remember, oh, you remember this, this is chilling end, in my opinion, towards the end of the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus talks about the fact that in the last day, there will be many that come to him who will say, did we not call you Lord, Lord? And he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In, kingdom of heaven. So in other words, he's saying, not everyone who profess, professes me will enter the kingdom of heaven. So what's Jesus saying here? What Jesus is turning to those believing, to him, believing in him, he's turning to them and saying, there's a difference. There's a distinction between professing me and possessing me. There's a difference between going along with me and following me. There's a difference between seeing the light and being in the light. Why? Why is it more than that? Look at verse, it's because of verse 34, what he says in verse 34. Because 
All who commit sin are slaves to sin. That is the truth about our darkness. That is what Jesus is being very real about. And he's not hiding it. That we're not neutral or free, but that we are slaves to our own desires. We're slaves, all of us. And they hate the fact that he says this. There's this fable uh, about, maybe you've heard of it before, uh, about the frog and the scorpion. And I may just royally mess it up, but it fits my uh, sermon, so I'm just going to tell it this way. Um, There's apparently a scorpion who lived by the river, and on his side of the river, there's a big fire. So his only... His only um, salvation is to cross the river and he, he comes to the bank of the river to cross and there's a frog there. And so he asks the frog, it's a fable made up, uh, he asks the frog if, if he would give him safe passage to the other side of the river and the frog says, no, 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 I know about you scorpions. You sting and you kill. If I carry you across, I'm going to die. And so the scorpion says, look, no, I would not do that. If I do that, we're both gonna die. And so the frog relents and lets the scorpion hop on and they're making their way across the river and sure enough, the scorpion pulls out a stinger and stings the frog. And the the frog is um, paralyzed and sinking and as he's about to die, he looks up to the scorpion and says, why did you do that? And the scorpion says, it's in my nature to sting and kill. Truth that Jesus is speaking to us about our darkness. This is the truth. That it's our nature that apart from some supernatural intervention, we are slaves to our own destruction. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 2. He says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. What Jesus is saying is, we really do need a savior. What he's saying is, we really do need to be set free. We really do need to see the truth about our darkness. And that's what the light does. The question is, if that's what the light does, why are we so blind to our darkness? The second thing We see it's because we believe the lies in the darkness because Jesus says we, by nature, are sons of the devil, the father of lies, okay? And if you're listening, I have to wonder what some of you think, that when Jesus says that apart from him is slavery, I'm willing to bet that there's some of you that think this whole Jesus thing actually is going to take away freedom, that it's actually outside of this church thing or this Christian community thing where I'm actually free, that there's no restrictions, that there's no unrealistic expectations, that there's no judgment every time I mess up. And sadly, that's probably more of your experience than just perception. But Jesus is telling us that's wrong. Jesus is telling, telling us that only in him is true freedom. And these people here, they grasp at anything to try and argue away from the slavery that Jesus has exposed. And we do the same thing. We will point, we will hold to, we will dig our nails into anything and everything to convince ourselves that we are okay. 
to prove to ourselves, to prove to our friends, to prove to our parents that we've got it together. We will hold on to anything, and that is to ignore the reality of spiritual darkness that Jesus says is a reality in our hearts. We all know, you're just lying to yourself if you don't admit this, but I, I think we all know at some level we're struggling with something, right? Even the best of us at some level know that we're struggling. See, you think about the things you're struggling with. What, what, I don't know what comes to mind when you think you're struggling, but maybe it, it's not the fact, you're not just struggling with the fact that you enjoy getting lost to the alcohol every now and then. You're not just struggling with the fact that you and your boyfriend or girlfriend can't keep your hands off each other. You're not just struggling that, with the fact that you bounce from task to task to task to try to fill this need in your life to accomplish something. To say you're just struggling with those things is to say, well, if I just knock this one or two things out, then I'll remedy the problem. No. Paul puts it like this in Ephesians 6. That What are we struggling with? Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness. We're struggling against that which seats destruction at every turn. And Jesus says that that flows from our hearts apart from him. He says he he knows what we struggle with. That's why he came as light to expose it. You remember last week in verse 24 of chapter eight, Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Jesus pulls back this curtain on our darkness because he knows the condemnation that hangs over our heads. And you know what the number one sign of our condemnation is? How do we know it? Well, these show it forth. They show us that the number one sign of our condemnation is when we hold something up about ourselves and we point to that as what makes us okay with God. These point to Abraham, right? We have Abraham, of course we're fine. Some achievement, some circumstance, maybe some comparison to something, someone else. And we think it's maybe silly that these claim some ancestor that lived thousands of years before them. But ask yourself this. What is it that you go to to convince yourself that you're okay with God? How would you answer that? Why are you okay with God? How do you know that? At the end of the day, what makes you okay? At the end of your week, what makes you think this is fine? Approved, accepted. What is it that convinces you that you and God are on good terms? What is it? Maybe the easiest way of identifying is that is what makes your doubts boil over? What is it that makes you fear you're going to lose it? That is what you're holding on to. And what these show is that they're actually in the darkness. Look at verse 39. Jesus tells them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do what he did. He's telling them that you think your heritage makes you okay, but I'm telling you it means nothing. You say you're one thing, but I'm telling you your life doesn't show it at all. So he's defining sonship. He's defining belonging to the Father 
in terms of obedience. Now, does that not go against everything I just said about holding on to something about me that makes me okay with God? Jesus is not saying that obedience makes God approve of you. He's saying that what it does is it expresses who you are, who you belong to. The freedom, Jesus says he's going to set us free. The freedom that Jesus gives is expressed in obedience. What Jesus gives flows out of our lives in obedience. It's not achieved in obedience, meaning this. What we do flows from something which we already possess, something that is already ours, not something that we fear we're going to lose. That's bondage. Doing the things of Jesus flows from the freedom that he gives and that we have received. Where does that come from? Jesus says finally here that the facts are in the footage. He goes to the videotape of who God is. And he's, he's, y'all got to understand this. Jesus is holding nothing back when he says, before Abraham was, I am. That is the most explicit claim to deity that he makes. And it's because he's addressing the reality of our darkness. And the greatest danger of our darkness is that it distorts our view of ourselves and it distorts the view we have of God. That's the result of the lies that we believe. We know that the light of Jesus has come in when it reorients how we view ourselves, when it re- totally reorients how we see God. That's our problem that we see neither of these rightly. Our distorted view of God is that we think he's unforgiving, unmerciful, takes away our freedom, that he's totally removed from us in our, salva- uh, in our situation, that he's just egging, egging us on every day as we get out of bed to prove ourselves once again constantly wagging his finger, withholding good things until we get it right. Those are Satan's tools. He was a liar from the beginning. The distorted view of ourselves is that we think that only when I have the power, only when I have done it right, am I truly free. That I can do this on my own, that I can pound the treadmill over and over and over again and maybe I'm gonna get somewhere. Jesus says we're set free when we finally see the truth about the darkness. That we actually need something completely outside of ourselves. The truth about the darkness, though, is not enough. We have to see the truth about God. And to that, Jesus says, before Abraham was, before anything that you can lay claim to, I am. Not I was, I am. I always have been, I always will be. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that's Jesus' death wish right there. Because he's accused of being a blasphemer. What's the, what's the first commandment? First commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. And in a way, you can actually kind of see maybe a case to be made that every other commandment flows from that. That you're not going to have anything before me, God says. And that's the breaking of that commandment is what brought sin in the world. That's exactly what Satan went after in the garden. He says, the day that you eat of it, you will what? You will be like God. That's what he's constantly going after 
in our hearts. If you finally do this, if you finally get rid of this, if you finally accomplish this, if you finally overcome this, if you finally give in to this, you will be like God. You will finally be free. And we keep chasing after that over and over. We want to be the ones that determine right and wrong. We don't want to have someone else telling us, that, telling us that we're slaves. We don't want someone else telling us what we can and cannot do. In other words, we're blasphemers in our heart of hearts. But I want you to see what Jesus does here. He stands up in the middle of that, that kind of thinking, and he claims to be God. He's the only person that ever had the right, the legitimate right to say that. He says, I am God in the flesh. And because of it, he takes the charge of blasphemy that we all deserve. And he'll actually end up going to the cross for it. And the fact is, is that he is that good. He is our God, and he is that good, treated as the ultimate blasphemer in our place because we need something completely outside of ourselves. Taking the penalty that we deserve so that there might not be, so there might be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He went to that length to show us I am. I am gracious. I am merciful. I am compassionate. I am there. I always have been. I always will be. He unveils the darkness and he covers you in his righteousness with his death. That's why he invites us into the light. It's not easy to swallow, it's not something that we go in with sunny days and rainbows. Being exposed to the light is not a comfortable thing, but Jesus invites us into it. Because he promises, he promises daily, whispering to us over and over again, that that which the light exposed is that which he absorbed in himself on the cross. He wants us to know the truth about our darkness so that we can be free to let the light expose of it. And when the light exposes it, then it begins to dispose of it. Because it was put to death. Light has come into the world and the darkness has not overcome it. And it never will. There is nothing in your heart that is too dark for this light. And there is nothing too hidden that will not be exposed. And there is nothing too ugly that he cannot touch. That's what the light does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, if we're honest, we are scared to death to come into the light. Father, to be seen as we know we really are, to actually know with certainty that you know us as we really are. But Father, as we come to that knowledge, would you also comfort us with the truth that in knowing us as we really are, you love us as we really are. Not only do you love us, but you love us with an everlasting love, a truth that will set us free. We long for that and pray that you would give it to us.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.